Mahomes, their second year of existence, have won MLS Cup. Usher final, Joe Patrick. Let's just like blow through these games. Yes, I, that, it's so not the interesting part of Atlanta. Seems like a, it seems like the side right story. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. We haven't recorded since the the Philadelphia win, but there was another win in between that. Uh, CF Montreal loses at home for just the third time this year to Atlanta United. Uh, really good road win. That, that's kind of all it was. Montreal was missing a bunch of folks. Uh, Atlanta was also missing some folks. Atlanta capitalized on it, was very professional and clean, and Tiago Amada is good at free kicks. Yeah, pretty much like a very ho-hum, boring road win, which this team obviously needs. They haven't had a game like that since the Charlotte win earlier this year. So it was it was nice to see. It was nice to see a non-dramatic professional win. Yeah, Santiago Sosa actually played pretty well in that yeah, game as well, which is, it was interesting. A lot of pressure on him. Some of the drama we're going to get to mm-hmm. in a second, which you guys are well aware of at this point. We've already talked about on the Patreon as well, but we kind of feel the need to, to go back and rehash some of it. The more we've kind of learned more information about everything that's going on in the last week and, and, and what's to come. Uh, it's also why the rest of this seems really not interesting because <laughs> we're we're 23 games in now. We have 23 like separate data points on on this team and a lot of these players maybe even more data points than that we know who everyone is we know how this kind of works we know what's going on uh, there's way more interesting stuff coming on the way with with Tristan Miyumba and a few other folks right. coming in as well which we'll right. talk about just a little bit but last night Atlanta loses to one to New England really bad opening few minutes um it's tough to really find the answer to exactly why it was weird to see Atlanta come out in the the back five that was so boring that and steady against Montreal and suddenly there's just a ton of space right mm-hmm. and I think part of that was was tired legs uh, even from the beginning you know Santiago Sosa came off at halftime I think in large part because he was clearly pretty exhausted uh Caleb looked a little no no not slow he just it just all everyone kind of looked a little yeah uh off step a little bit and that bit them early on and at that point, game state, you're not going to get two goals against Jordi Petrovic, most likely, especially not when he's playing like that. And that was that. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know what happened in that uh, that opening either. I, I do think that New England really came in with a good game plan. I felt like Bruce Arena finally mm-hmm. looked at the tape. And, you know, now that Elena's played in that shape, what, for a couple of games now and had a good plan against it. I think both it, when New England had the ball and also when Atlanta had the ball, Atlanta had no real ideas in possession in that shape uh it see it took them a while to get into it but then once gonzalo pineda changed some things in the second half they really started to 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 find a bit of a, a groove in the game and by the end of it they were you know dominating and obviously new england has a lead so they're going to you know prioritize sitting in front of their goal and protecting it but um honestly i think it was you, you I, I you know i wrote kind of a piece about like half glass half full glass half empty it all kind of depends on your perspective and how you see how the game went but i think there were some some green shoots there you, you there were a lot of chances created five big chances for atlanta united um mm-hmm. but you only finish one of them and I think that kind of is the problem with this team right now. It's just there's just you're you're just lacking a lot of quality. You're starting Tyler Wolf, Miguel Berry, Ronald Hernandez, uh, you know, all these guys for different reasons, of course. But just man for man, pound for pound, when you compare that against other teams, you're going to kind of be 
you know, shorthanded from a quality perspective against a lot of teams, especially the top teams that you face in MLS. Yeah, that, that little segment on the second goal where Carlos Yule, Megs, Sosa, and Yakima Veroni just takes off and, you know, cruises through the center of Atlanta's defense. Yeah. It was, uh, that's one of those moments where you go, oh, <laughs> <laughs> they have better soccer players, don't they? <laughs> So yeah. that was uh, pretty apparent. Then, you know, you see right down the spine, Yule, uh, Rioni, uh, even a few of the other strikers for the Revs. And then, of course, George Petrovic, Petrovic was yeah, incredible. I'm, yeah, I'm glad yeah. you met. I mean, what, what else can you say? Helps to have a goalkeeper that can make, you know, 10 stops in a game. Not that, you know, I'm not trying. That's not like a veiled shot at Guzan or anything. But, you know, that just it just helps you get results when you have a really solid mm-hmm. goalkeeper. Because, again, when you look at the stats, maybe Atlanta United should have gotten something from that game, but ultimately they didn't. I, I, but I do, I want to go back really quick and make one more point about just the chances that Atlanta generated in that game. To me, I think it's a positive sign for Gonzalo Pineda that the team is kind of doing the things despite this lack of talent that they have, again, in this particular game in certain areas, that they were still able to generate all these chances. And to me, that is um, a credit to, again, the game model that we talk a lot about that it can produce. I just think that there's it's going to take some time to find the players that are going to settle into the system before it really starts to flourish. Hmm. And we can talk about this more later, but some of the conversations we've had in the past week have indicated that as well. Mm-hmm. And you can kind of look at who Atlanta United is set to bring in. You can look at Tristan Mulyamba and a few other folks we'll talk about in a little bit and, and kind of see that the the personnel is shifting. And, you know, there is going to be time given to see if uh, Gonzalo Pineda's game model can work even more effectively than, than it kind of has this year. I think it generally has been pretty good in the sense that Atlanta United has generally limited chances and, and created a decent amount of chances and the underlying numbers will, will show that it's just that certain pieces uh, aren't quite there aren't quite there yeah and I think everyone will kind of agree with that yeah yeah anything else you want to add from this one before we get to the interesting stuff like I, I don't know man it just was a it, it's a tier two MLS team like we've been saying and sometimes you win road games and sometimes you lose road games more often than not you lose road games and I didn't learn anything. Did <laughs> yeah. you learn anything? Well, I think in hindsight, it was kind of good that we actually didn't record directly after the Montreal game. We have this game also in context just to kind of give some some variance to probably what our what our opinions would have been. Because we were just talking after the Montreal game. It would have been, you know, obviously a lot different. I think this just having these multiple data points gives us a little bit better perspective on where this team is right now. And again, it's this is the team as it is constructed right now is not at all what it's going to look like a month from now, you know, when you have some of these pieces that we're going to talk about integrated into the team. So it'll be interesting to see how that all develops. But yeah, let's talk about the good stuff or the interesting stuff, the juicy stuff. Let's do it right now. And this is time. Business time, Joe Patrick, and I know it doesn't seem like it since we talked about it so much, but we haven't talked directly on this show to the people. About two pretty huge moves. Yes, exactly. Andrew Gutman, we'll start with him, shipped out to Colorado. Uh, I'm trying to remember the game exactly on it, but essentially like 400K and then an international spot. Let's call it essentially a 600K return on that. And then you, of course, shed 300K worth of salary cap. So you're kind of hovering around uh, about a million dollars cleared off your budget charge there which is is nice to have but at the same time I, I think it's fair to be looking that and 
being a bit concerned that, you know, uh, that is another good soccer player gone. He's had his issues this year. Like, I think there have been some obvious struggles defensively, but at the same time, made a lot happen in attack. His underlying numbers were very good for a fullback. It's uh, always concerning when you lose a quality piece on a team that needs quality pieces. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one with both Gutman and Ibarra because they're both flawed players, but they're mm-hmm. both some of Atlanta's better performers over the course of the season, you know, with with all their performances in context. And so for that reason, I think it's it's a little bit it's harsh just when you hear the news for both of these guys that they're no longer going to be with the team because you felt like they were overall positive contributors. But, you know, I do think that the return for Gutman is pretty good. I think that, you know, Doug has been harping on this on Twitter, but you really have to take into account the the kind of contract status that Andrew Gutman had, which was that he was going to be out of contract or Atlanta had one option year. But if you really want to get anything in return for him, this is the window you kind of have to have to move him in, trade him, sell him, whatever. Um, and so I think for that reason, it makes a lot of sense. I also think just tactically, it makes sense. I know that, you know, especially like stat heads, um, don't love like selling a player that has very high, um, you know, like goals added stats and things like that uh, mm-hmm. for the sake of like fitting into a certain tactic or whatnot. But I do think that, you know, Gutman was very offensive oriented. And I think that th- it could provide the team a little bit more balance to to replace him with a different kind of player, even though Caleb Wiley is also a very attacking player. Um, Gutman was was just really kind of the defensive. I don't know what the defensive numbers look like for him, but he really did seem like a liability there. I asked Yodel football to to pull some goals out of numbers just kind of based on the sections of the field. And it was really interesting seeing that opponents' goals added were much higher on Gutman's side of the box compared to like Brooks Lennon's. Mm. You know, you could you could genuinely see a pretty noticeable difference. And, you know, that's not necessarily all on him or anything like that. It was just kind of curious to kind of see that laid out and say, okay, you know, maybe there's there's a little bit of truth to that even with the numbers as well as the eye test. Um, can I can I say one more thing? About, can I say one, yeah, just totally. one more thing about Gutman with regards to the contract, which is that um, you know he was going to be asked. I, th- I forget what money he was on this year on his current contract, but it was good value, three hundred k essentially, very good value, very good value. And he knows that, <laughs> and his agent knows that. So his next mm-hmm. contract was not going to be for nearly that amount. I think he just saw Brooks Lennon probably get like what six fifty or whatever it was, seven hundred k maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's probably looking for something similar. And if you're Atlanta United, do you really want to be paying two fullbacks that much money? Probably not. Could you argue whether you know you would have rather paid Gutman instead of Lennon that money and done basically the same thing with Lennon? You know that's you can you can make that argument, but again you, you have could. too late. Yeah, again you have more cover though on that left side with Caleb Wiley and ha- him being a long term solution at that position. So I think it was just a judgment there that the club made. It also makes more sense too when you consider who Atlanta is going to bring in, and we keep teasing that, but we'll get to it in a second. Mm-hmm. We'll get to it in a second. It does kind of make sense in it from a from a tactical perspective in some sense. And it also clears the way for Caleb to play the position that I think everyone sees him at long-term. I don't think he quite has the the pace or, or 1v1 ability to be like an elite winger, but I think he can be a very effective fullback in his professional career going forward, especially as he continues to to progress and improve his physical skill set and his poise and demeanor and everything has been very 
it hasn't quite been linear, but it's been really close for Caleb. And that's been awesome to see. Yeah. And this will only help that. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think the one thing that Caleb, especially now that he's in this position where he kind of is the the team starting left back, and it's something that's underappreciated about Brooks Lennon is he needs to be able to manage himself throughout a game to, to last the 90 minutes. We've seen him a lot recently getting subbed at 60, 70 minutes. It's because he's making a ton of sprints. He's, he's trying to be that runner in behind. Basically, he's trying mm-hmm. to be two players at once and you know, that's a good thing. A credit credit to him for giving that effort. But I think at the position now, you just have to be a little bit maybe more conservative or just pick your spots a little bit more. And again, you need help from if you're playing at left back, which he hasn't been playing. He's, he's been playing as a left wing back. So he literally has been that forward option. But once he has a left winger in front of him, it'll be about finding that, you know, getting that cohesion and, and picking his spots to get forward and just kind of saving his energy over the course of a game. It's worth remembering. He's just still a very young player. And so there's some of these kind of building block things that you kind of take for granted with some players that he still has to work on. But obviously, certainly he's in a great position going forward, especially when you look at the World Cup being in 2026, which can be a goal for him to push for. He's already gotten a cap with the United States national team. And now he's just kind of in a perfect position. He's got a players around him that can help push him. And for him, he's going to be 21 when that World Cup comes around. So as far <laughs> as a career perspective goes, there's no rush. You can say, let's play this out. Atlanta will probably give him a raise at some point. And then after the World Cup, you can kind of start to think about what you what the next step is going to be for you. Yeah, it, we can talk about this more in a second, but Atlanta's in no rush to move him out. I don't think he's in any rush to, to move out. Yeah, um, he'll be around a while yeah. and we'll continue to get to watch him grow. And Joe, I think you mentioned him potentially being like a starting left back for the u.s in the 2026 world cup but you're right he will only be 21 so maybe maybe 2030 is a better <laughs> uh better guess because god he's so young but he's he's doing a great job um especially as he continues to like i said grow in pretty much every facet he was on uh the, the pregame show on mls 360 uh last night did a really nice job with the media and it's just just growing a lot. Look, look at our look look at our son. He's grown up. You gotta love it. Mm-hmm. You gotta love it. One thing I will say is I am frustrated a bit by some of the framing from the team in particular on the Gutman deal and some other deals as well. Um, in the sense that like it is a been framed as a correction to the defensive issues and yes there are moments where the team shuts off and allows high quality chances i believe they're still second in the league and average xg allowed per shot right so the chances they do give up generally higher value than most mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. So what that tells you right is that there there are bad mistakes happening mm-hmm. that is true at the same time they don't allow that many chances yeah like as far as like shots allowed and XG allowed and everything like that, they're on par with teams like Cincinnati and even even Nashville to some extent as far as like shots allowed goes and everything like that. And, you know, it, it's frustrating to see that kind of poised is the, the solution to it when uh, there are some other maybe more obvious um, issues that, that are kind of plaguing it or maybe just even bad luck play against some of the defense as well um i don't know i just don't necessarily buy it yeah and it's um you know that stat also kind of should provide some cover to guzan who i've certainly been very harsh on we talked a lot about him on this show but he is facing very difficult chances typically um so that is something for him yeah i don't know you know it's one of those things where 
I don't know. Miles, I think, is still one of the best center backs in this league. I don't know if he's quite played at the level like uh, that he was before the injury, specifically defensively. I think it, on, in possession, I think he's probably better than he than he was in the past. But uh, I, I don't know if he's quite as dominant as he was one-on-one defensively, which saved Atlanta's skin so many times in 2019, 20, well, not mm-hmm. 2020, I guess, but, um, you know, he, when he's been MLS best 11 caliber at 2021, I think is when he got back to, um, that level, just very, very good. So, uh, I think that the back line has just been in a bit of upheaval, but also, you know, midfield is, has been rough and they play a big role mm-hmm. in organizing the team and keeping everything compact and making sure that nothing is happening through the middle. And that makes it so much more difficult on a goalkeeper like Brad Guzan to kind of know when shots are going to be coming and where they're going to be coming from. A lot of goalkeeping is kind of being in positions when you're able to predict where some of these chances that the opponent are going to have are going to come from. And it's just not been like that this year. Yeah, I, Atlanta United has given up a lot of um, high value shots, if that makes sense, in the sense that like the post shot XG, like where the ball is placed, has been in the corners essentially more often than other teams. Like the post shot XG allowed per shot is way higher than a lot of other teams. Um, so, again, it, yes, there are defensive issues. Yes, there are goalkeeping issues and everything like that. But I'm, I'm not quite sure it's quite as bad as yeah, it kind of seems. I agree. Um, it, it is interesting framing though, especially considering that there was uh, a whole other trade debacle, whatever you want to call it, that, that happened this week that was also kind of framed as, <laughs> well, we're, we're, we've been bad defensively, so it's probably okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, Franco Ibarra loaned to Toronto. We did a full Patreon show on this kind of instant reaction as it happened. Because, you know, we showed up to the training grounds and, you know, started doing some counting. It was like July 6th, I think it was. Atlanta had to be roster compliant at that point uh, to, to make things work because they had four U22 players officially at that point once the transfer window opened. Uh, we started counting the U22s that came out. And, okay, well, there's Santiago Sosa. That's one. There's Eric Lopez, I think. I think that's what he looks like. That There's Eric Lopez. That's two. <laughs> and there's Edwin Mascara. That's three. And where's Franco Abara? And we kind of waited for a bit and then turned around and there's Franco Abara in street clothes watching training, you know, and then he drives off and we went, okay, <laughs> well, <laughs> there might be our answer. Um, look, we can be upfront about it. It's a mess. Uh, Atlanta had four E22s. No, no one else is having that issue in MLS. It's kind of a disaster to have to lose a starter you you lost a starter and whether that starter was average or above average or however you want to rate them you lost a starter he was a starter and and he was getting picked over other players worse. yeah the, the fact yes <laughs> which that's you kind know. of the important context of this is like he was getting picked over santiago sosa when they were both healthy and to me that was the most surprising aspect of this kind of the, that that's why it was a little bit hard to accept uh, because it felt like, yeah, he might be a flawed player. He might have some weaknesses in certain areas, but he was at least a positive contributor to the team overall, which you can't say for specifically a lot of these other central midfielders that have played so far this year. So I think that's one of the reasons why 
fans had an initial reaction they did and then i think that that initial reaction kind of snowballed into maybe mm-hmm. you know overstating the importance of of franco abara in general um because he was clearly still a player that had so many flaws and in a better team those would have been readily apparent to a lot of fans but mm. con- again considering the context he was a very important player for this team and he played in a position that they openly stated they were trying to improve up that spine yeah totally uh, it's uh kind of tough to swallow i mean he's yeah he's flawed but also he, he's young as well he I is yeah. only 22 yeah. the team had him under contract or still has him i guess under contract through i believe 2025 i can check on that later he was he was a flawed uh, but, player but he was improving and that's why i thought that he was a long-term mm-hmm. piece that they could stick with because he was actually showing signs that he was addressing some of the flaws in his game exactly and, and part of that just came down to the fact that they were playing him in the right position for the first time since <laughs> yeah. he arrived at yeah. Atlanta United yeah uh the team saw him as an eight he's not an eight clearly not an eight uh but was much more comfortable as a six he said as much and had been improving because of that and I think we could all see that you know um it's frustrating to to think about Tristan Miyumba coming in and you know doing a lot of the things that we've always said would pair well with uh, Franco Ibarra uh, considering mm-hmm. some of his physical limitations uh, now we won't get to see that probably uh, it, it seems likely to me anyway that that bridge may be done as far as Ibarra coming back Carlos Bocanegra said kind of as this was happening uh, kind of unprompted too if it, he basically said well if, if he moves on the winner, well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. And I was like, look, oh, yeah. okay. We'll see. That's a quote. Yeah. And again, there's, I, I have received zero indication that, yeah, there's, I, I mean, I asked Carlos about it. I said, is there a long term plan for Abara? And he just said, it's a short term loan. And, um, but he didn't go, if there was a long term plan for him, they certainly would have gone into detail about it. They certainly would have kind of, smoothed over the situation and said you know yeah we we really hope that he you know boost him up all that stuff none of that happened so i don't get the impression that that he'll be back and again seeing seeing a lot of his quotes that were put out by uh, felipe cardenas from the athletic i i doesn't seem like he wants to be back either after everything that transpired do you have any issue with how it was handled i don't want to like get too much into how people do their jobs but yeah um Ultimately, I don't have a problem with the way it was handled. Like when you're trading a player. At some point, you just have to tell them <laughs> like at some point they're going to be told right, they're getting yeah. traded. Um, it's I mean, I think for some players that come into the league, maybe they don't quite grasp the reality of the situation. But also in that interview that he gave with the athletic, he said that he knew he could be traded at one point and he said that he knew the team had four U22s which that was actually fascinating to me that he actually knew these de- these designations the and he knew yeah. that they were over the <laughs> limit <laughs> um so but he probably thought like I did that his performances were going to keep him around I'd have been like I ain't going nowhere yeah. what are y'all gonna do <laughs> trade me right yeah <laughs> yeah and ultimately, he was kind of like doomed by his own success because his, the mm-hmm. fact that he was playing decently well me, meant that he was the one who was the team was easily able to move um, in this kind of crunch that they were in. So and I and I don't think the club wanted to ultimately make this move, obviously, but they were doomed by the, the poor decisions they've made in the past. And so when you talk about all the bad stuff that's come down from this, ultimately it stems to why were you even signing Edwin Mascara when you did? Like, what were you yeah. like pushing to for like a 
lower seed in the playoffs. Like, yeah, those were the decisions that that really made this come to fruition. Yeah, let's be clear. It's not like they only shopped Franco Ibarra. This was the worst case yeah. scenario. Yeah. Everyone else. This is like pulling the got shot. Pulling the ejection level. hatch. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um they were even close, I think, to, to moving a couple of these guys. And it just it didn't happen. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Uh part of that is their salary. Part of it is the players have have leverage as well. Uh just didn't happen. So what do you do? You you have to get rid of the only valuable asset. That's the thing, too. We we kind of overrate sometimes like oh they'll just like move on x player who's being paid a lot who isn't very good that's hard to do definitely uh, other teams have to be willing to pay that and if the player isn't very good the player isn't very good it's tough to convince them going a step forward from that i even like have a, my own personal flaws when i see like you know marcelino moreno okay he's loaned to cortiva to me he's like almost like out of my mind like okay he, don't have to worry <laughs> about him anymore when actually there are like contractual and and just you know a lot of administrative work and stuff that means he is kind of still impacting the picture which he for example is you know we know that his mm-hmm. budget charge is still affecting this team right now so even though players yeah, may be out of sight they're not necessarily right out of mind yeah let's talk about that right quick i don't know i'll do my best to explain this uh he's on loan at Coritiba, right and and typically this is the same with barca when players are on loan their salary is covered, but what is not covered is their total budget charge. Remember, budget charge against the salary cap is a player's salary and a player's amortized transfer fee, right? So if you paid $5 million to transfer a player, they have a five-year contract, you add $1 million to each year, right? And mm-hmm. that's the total budget charge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so in this case, Marcelino's budget charge was still being paid for by Atlanta, right? Whatever his transfer fee was. I've seen it five million, six million, seven million. We we don't quite know exactly what it was, right? Um that was still being paid by Atlanta and I. That's still counting against the cap. Now Cortiba obviously has bought him, but (laughs) that technically doesn't go into effect until January first of next year is everyone following because he's still on loan right now he's essentially still on loan right now and it's unclear whether or not uh his budget charge has come off and i like i don't even know how it works i I almost feel like it might be like an arbitrary decision up to like mls Mm -hmm. to be like well it it could be yeah if you you ask nicer it goes to Um, the yeah it goes to the court the the, yeah mls has got like an internal uh because it's not real money (laughs) right right. you know (laughs) i imagine what's the uh, the line from the office like the uh it's like the 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 meeting of like so-and-so is meeting right now it's like it's a meeting of one Mm -hmm. it's like some person sitting at their desk (laughs) (laughs) so yeah i mean if you're wondering why like some of maybe Atlanta maybe isn't making more moves it could potentially be because Atlanta has less cap room than you think yeah. because they're still paying this budget charge on a player that isn't even with the team uh, again I'll, so much of this is just a hole they're digging out of from years of bad choices yeah yeah and it's um, it's unfortunate but <clears throat> I don't know what to say to this it's been a lot of yeah it's something that I, has come to my mind in, in all of this that has happened over the last week is is this i've always kind of looked at it like okay club has spent a lot you know you miss on some players whatever you get a player out you can replace them you get a player out you replace the player and if you can just do that enough times then you're going to get back and i think what i've been naive about 
is that it's not that simple because Atlanta United has really been redlining the roster and, and the restrictions that MLS places on teams where Atlanta has not three DPs. How many of that? Like they've still got Barco. Technically, again, these are all they're yeah. off the team. They're off the roster. They're playing for other teams, but they're still impacting the the holistic roster construction. So you still have mm-hmm. like Barco hanging out there, Marcelino Moreno hanging out there. Um, these were players who were signed for DP level deals. And so it's not as simple as a player goes out and down that gives you room to get one in it, 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 because <laughs> I've become like desensitized to how much they were. The, the club has really pushed the boundaries over the years. And we talked about it on one of our previous shows where it's like, you hoped that you were going to be able to just kind of keep pushing this stuff out and that it was never going to really come back and bite you. But this Franco Abara situation is an example of actually things kind of didn't go exactly how you planned. And now it is biting you and you got to pay the cost for that. I kind of have a little bit of a theory on that. And as far as redlining the roster goes, I kind of wonder if they kept thinking like, okay, here come like the rule changes. They're going to benefit us mm, and other big mm-hmm, clubs. Mm-hmm. And I wonder yeah. if that just never came, Yeah, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. which is a heck of a thing to do. Again, salary cap league, Garth talks about this so much as far as like minimizing risk and the signings and everything like that. And that's obviously not what Lady United was doing over the last yeah. few years. And like you said, Joe, it's, it's biting him in the butt. Well, and I think it, it's important to contextualize how it was happening, which was, um, you had basically Darren Eels and Carlos Bocanegra as a, as a, as a team together, kind of running the, running the ship. And, um, it's interesting that a lot of the, these, these questionable slash irresponsible moves that were made happened after Paul McDonough left and you had Darren mm-hmm. Eels, who is, you know, marketing marketer supreme, but also a very headstrong guy who didn't want to allow the club to kind of slip up in any way. Because I think he probably foresaw, you know, bad things business wise if, if the performance does the results didn't come on the field. So he was always pushing. He, he probably was giving a dictate like we need to push. We need to try to keep getting guys in. And you had Carlos Bocanegra there again, you know, uh, relatively inexperienced in the role consider, you know, relative to his peers in the job and probably just was trying to do his best, but not properly supported by Darren in terms of building out his team, the recruitment, the analytics, all that stuff. And it's just, it's all kind of a recipe for the disaster that that we kind of saw transpire over the previous three or so years. Well, Joe, there is some reason for optimism. Uh, Tristan Wiamba comes in. Uh, not going to pronounce the the name again, but I got to talk to him the other day. Uh, yeah, after, how was that? Or during training, he, he was very good. Uh, he is uh, not a native English speaker, right? But did very well uh, dealing with questions and trying to explain uh, why Atlanta and, and why uh, he felt like he could, could be a good fit here. And said he's comfortable with both six and eight. Uh, said that uh, Carlos and Gonzalo were a big part of the reason why he wanted to come. Carlos in particular showed. Uh, a lot of interest in him as well. And I think there was maybe a trip out to the in-home visit. Or, or they at least talked with him. Yeah. yeah the, the in-home visit maybe yeah. <laughs> potentially as well. I'm not sure on that though. I don't want to get ahead of myself. <laughs> sure. but they, Tristan was confident in Bocanegra's confidence in him, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, good recruiting there. Shout out recruiting coordinator, 
Carlos Bocanegra continues to be pretty good at that part mm-hmm. of the job at the very <laughs> least. Um, you know, and uh, full credit to them. Uh, interested to see how he fits. I think the date they're targeting is Leagues Cup. So sometime within Leagues Cup in the next couple of weeks, he should be able to potentially join the team full time. He's already in Atlanta, of course. And again, I, I think he's going to be a good fit. It's just frustrating. He's not a fit next to, to Franco Bar. Yeah. Yeah. That de- they definitely see him. I know because... <sighs> Yeah, it seems like he would have fit next, well, next to Abara because they see him as kind of a rangy number eight, mm-hmm. you know, midfielder who, which is what we've been calling for for so right, long, right, right, right. Um, and then if you have what that's going to do is allow Tiago Almada to play further up the field, which is kind of how he's more like how he's been playing since the team moved to this three, four, three, where Almada's pretty much been one of those front three hasn't been having to drop back a lot, uh, m- as much as he was earlier in the season. And hopefully that will allow him to, again, get in the positions like he was last night in new England, where he's able to have a lot more shots on goal, create chances. I think he created six chances last night. So um, that's going to unlock a lot of him too. It's just, it's such an important piece of any team is finding that, that central midfield tandem really. But in this case for Atlanta, it's finding that number eight because you've got a couple options in that other role. Um, and I also wonder how, it, you know, I would be interested. I've, I've not seen Miyumba play, so this is maybe getting ahead of myself. But what about a Miyumba Sadich pairing or something like that? You know, I, I think they have some different options there. I was thinking about this today as well because uh, he can play as a six. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, he pre- I think he probably prefers an eight. I think the team sees. <laughs> I think the team sees him more as an eight, which I know that's famous last words, but <laughs> I am curious as well that uh, Sadich might be a better fit because it will be a double pivot is what it sounds like. It's not like Milma's going to be single pivot and kind of directing traffic and everything like that. Sadich has just been steadier than everyone Yeah, he's else. just like a baseline. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the group right now, he's simply been steadier. So, yeah, I'm curious as well. Yeah, I, I wonder what they do. Yeah, it's like say this is just the best midfielder it feels like this team has right now. <laughs> just overall role aside. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the reasons why I want to see him out there. By the way, credit for that signing. He's really he was a very under the rate signing. Basically got him for peanuts uh, a couple years mm-hmm. ago and has really developed his game and, and turned himself put himself in this position to, to you know have a decent role in this team. And still being underpaid. Yeah, absolutely. He's good value for Atlanta. Someone pointed out last night, like what it must be like for Sadich to be starting over Mateus (laughs) Asatu, who's making 700K right now. MLS making five times. Y'all. Yeah. 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 Remember, we talked to Jeff about that as well, where he was like looking across the room and being like, why are you making more money than me? Yeah. Anyway. And uh, well, and, and, and as opposed to other sports, I mean, like that's the case in baseball too, but like the lower paid guy in baseball is making like a million or something, you know, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And <laughs> looking at the guy who's making 5 million or 10 million, not, not as hard to deal with as it is when you're making like less than a hundred K, you know, mm-hmm. I would take it, <laughs> oh, yeah. but, but right. you get what we're saying. Yeah. You get what we're saying. Well, yeah. And, Eric Lopez and especially those guys it's like, man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and that brings me back to one thing about Ibarra. I know there's like people who've kind of been outspoken about, you know, how he was treated or whatever. It's like he's still making like 600 K or whatever it is. Like <laughs> life could be way worse for Franco Ibarra. So he'll be OK. I feel mostly bad the way I'm sure he was clearly emotional about the, how the whole thing went down. I just hope he hasn't kind of dug himself in too much of a hole going into a new team. Sorry to kind of backtrack on that. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. In general, on the way it was handled, um, you know, there, there's probably something behind the scenes where they could have maybe more clearly explained the situation, but I don't think there was anything malicious or anything like that. It's just kind yeah. of an unfortunate situation all around, right? Uh, that's kind of all I'll say on that. Uh, let's move on to a potential signing, Joe Patrick, one we don't quite know much about yet but one that might come through we know for sure the team is going to bring in or at least is attempting to bring in a winger Carlos Bocanegra has said as much uh, I think pretty general indication is that they'll fill Luis Araujo's spot in some way whether that's a DP uh, is not clear whether that's a full DP is not clear whether it's like a tamable player who then becomes a DP simply to save some cap room uh, we don't know yet we don't know yet, but we do know that Atlanta has been linked with a player we'll, we'll just lovingly call Saba for now. I'm not going to try to pronounce <laughs> the last name. Uh, Georgian National uh, plays in Turkey for a club called Tayspor. Um, I tried. I tried. Um, yeah, older, uh, prime age player, as Garth would put it, has also had success in two countries, which is a thing we've talked about as well, being a central tenant of Garth's transfer philosophy, especially for older players. Uh, has played in Denmark and Turkey, which is obviously not his home country, uh, and, and done well in, in both places for the most part. Maybe not done amazing, but done well. Yeah. Done well, which makes me think we're talking about a, a TAM level kind of guy if we want to classify players like that. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, not amazing, but the goal return is the, like the goal and assists production has, has been there, which. You can't say for every player that Atlanta United has spent significant money on. So I'm nodding. No one can see me, but I'm nodding. So there is that. Um, I think the thing that I like about this rumor and something that signals to me that it's there's something to it, which you you point out, like it fits a lot of these things that Garth Lagerway has talked about the team wanting in terms of these prime age players having played in multiple divisions, all that um, is, uh, you know, the fact that it seems like the team is actually optimizing for what they need instead of, again, playing the football manager game where you get a 20 year old prospect from Argentina mm-hmm. or wherever uh, that hasn't really performed, you know, at senior levels before or performed, you know, have significant data on that to getting a guy who um, will almost certainly be able to provide something given his past production. Like it may not be, you know, MLS MVP worthy or anything like that, but the, the, the floor is a lot higher, a lot, lot higher with a seat with a signing like this, which is probably more of the strategy that Atlanta United should be going with as opposed to what they've done in the past. Atlanta general is a young team. We don't talk about that enough. Super young. As far as like, yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the younger teams, it's not quite Red Bulls, but it's still very young. And I think we see a lot of that sometimes. Like people kind of wonder about the bad mistakes and everything like that. Well, it's like, well, there, there's some kids out there, man. Yeah. You know, I I think that's a part of it. Totally. So again, more data points on an older player, uh, more likely to adapt well if they've had success in two countries. Um, Just all, all of it kind of lines up. Uh, Hatespor also just brought in a younger winger uh, to start in the same spot that, uh, Saba plays right um, that's another indication that there's some smoke to this uh, additionally uh, Tayspor was one of the teams very much affected by the earthquake in Turkey back in February um, you might have heard um, extremely sad story about losing one of their players to that earthquake they had to essentially stop playing for the rest of the season they're in a weird financial situation because of that um, and it could just be one of those things where they're looking to, to get some 
cash and flow, right? Mm-hmm. Like to, to have someone move out and maybe get a little bit of money, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it, it could line up for Atlanta United to, to make this move and, and have it make a lot of sense financially as well to be very cold about all this. I kind of hate it, but it is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll keep an eye on it. I don't know how far along that might be, if it even is close at all. Um, but it fits a lot of the profile. Mm-hmm. So we, we at least know that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it, there definitely seems like there's smoke to it, but clearly it's like in a uh, relatively early stage, it would seem to me just based off the reporting. So we'll see how it develops. But I think it would be a good signing. I hope it I hope it comes through. Yeah, Gar- I asked Garth on record about a, a while back. I just or I think, well, not a while back. I asked Garth on record about earlier this week about like what <laughs> profile of winger they're That's actually funny. looking for. And... Um, time is hard. Nothing's real. Um, and essentially they said they want someone who can get to the end line. Yeah. Right. Get them behind, get in the end line, uh, get to the primary assist zones, uh, cut it back. And obviously Gonzalo wants to play with natural footed wingers at this point. He's left footed. You have him on the left. Etienne on the right. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, you obviously move Caleb Wiley, uh, back to left back and everything in your four, three, three, four, two, three, one fits. You know, there's a balance to it. Yeah, you would have Saba. I mean, the depth chart would basically play out like this. On the left wing, you would have Saba and Mascara. In the middle, you have Almada. And I think Chol is probably like the backup number 10, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah, not wrong. <laughs> yeah. No. And then on the right, you would have probably like Wolf and uh, and uh, obviously Etienne um, competing You know, there. So you have competition mm-hmm. in all places. Like I, I think if, if you bring in a left winger, it just makes a lot of sense for the squad, the roster composition. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. They're also probably going to look at a backup striker, Kofis Bocanegra was talking about this uh, when asked about Jurgis Ekamakis. I was surprised by this. Injury status. I was surprised by this. I was this. a little bit too, but I, I think I, I get it. Yeah, I understand I think it. everyone kind of knows where we're at with, with Miguel Berry, who's very nice guy, works hard, just the production has obviously not been where it needs to be. He had, right? a, he had um, an amazing... I would call it like reception in the box and like twinkle toes, like did like a little roulette. It was incredible last night. So incredible that the announcer called him Vasquez because <laughs> it was very Brandon Vasquez. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, I, but obviously, you know, not getting the job. But, done, yeah, no so. shots. He had zero sh- of Atlanta's 24 shots last night, which is not what you want That's out of your striker. Remarkable. Remarkable. Look, Gigi has had some injury history in the past as well. I think they kind of knew that coming in uh that's why they got barry in the first place but that hasn't quite worked out and carlos is like yeah i think in the general broader scheme of things we're looking at bringing in a backup striker was pretty upfront about that so i would expect that move to come in as well at some point don't know what the profile is essentially for that price point you're like whatever works and can be productive i don't think you're necessarily being choosy about the profile of player and what they can do. You just want them to be somewhat effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably just anyone who has a track record of of scoring, specifically in MLS, because whenever you try to translate USL production to MLS, it doesn't always come off. So, yeah, anyone. Yeah. And that could be from another trade. Like, no right. one is safe. Right. Yeah. I don't want you all to think anyone is safe yeah. at this point. Like, if this could all change so rapidly. Like, let's say they, like, I don't know. Get get a miracle and like get one of the really bad contracts out. You know, some team is like, I will take that. I'll lease that burden. <laughs> and it makes no sense, but you do it anyway. And all of a sudden you have a ton of cap room to play with. I, I think Atlanta would 
change some of their plans. But for right now, it's the two to three players that they've indicated. Uh, it's obviously Tristan. It's a winger. It's a backup striker. And I think that's it. It's probably you it. cool with that, Joe Patrick. <sighs> Again, not. I mean, ask me a week ago. No, but <laughs> <laughs> but, you know. When you, I've started to think about it more again what I was talking about with the roster. Obviously, there's a lot more that needs to be done over time than just those three pieces. But yeah, I'm kind of coming around to the fact that it's not going to be as as much of like a star-studded transfer palooza as I kind of thought it was going to be heading into the window. Yeah, I think the Gootman move was like the uh huh, very much an indicator. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because once they did that, you went, oh yeah, oh this is how they they're thinking. Space, mm-hmm. don't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they still need some space. Yeah, uh, which is unfortunate. Yeah, we were. Uh, that reminds me, though. we've been talking a lot about like the team before the team on this podcast, and this, the, <laughs> we have a question. Yeah, about this the later. next team is not the team that I thought we were going to get <laughs> based on Gutman and, and a bar going out. You would have thought that they would have been kind of part of that next team, but clearly not. So it just goes to show, uh, go speaks to what you were saying earlier, which is that nobody, no, <laughs> nobody is safe. The, this team, the front the club certainly seems to think it's the team before the team, but it might be like a, almost an entirely new team. So we'll see. Yeah, I agree. I mean, how many starters from this particular unit right now are going to be left over? We should count year? them. Let's GG, GG, Caleb, mm-hmm. Brooks, Brooks. Yep, that's a good one. <laughs> good one. Good answer. Good one. Good job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I want to uh, say Derek Etienne. Ain't going anywhere, yeah, I guess, Et- I w- yeah. I mean, like you would think Etienne because of the contract, but the production clearly has not been there. And, and last yeah, night was another brutal good. one for him. So we'll see. I think TBD on that. I think they would like him to be, but yeah, I think he's not that many. Be, I'm still like, I, I know y'all. I know. <laughs> I see it. I know, but he gets in good spots. <laughs> he gets opportunity. Yeah. He's yeah. He has been. Let's, let's give it like, let's just give me like, just give me like another, <laughs> It's like um, <laughs> it's like when you listen to a, a like a really experimental band, like the first listen, you're like, nah, this is terrible. But like the hundredth listen, you're like, yeah, wait, 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 no, 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 I found it. I hear yeah, it now. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Just let's just give it like twenty more tries. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just torture yourself, you know, twenty hours more, <laughs> and then it might all open up like a yeah. Captain Beefheart record. Um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what he does on the right especially with a more balanced team i'm just saying yeah i'm just saying but yeah no i mean that's kind of all i've kind of attributed for it i think tiago is not gone this summer which we haven't even talked about but i don't think he's gone this summer atlanta has no incentive to sell him uh arthur blank has said publicly through garth Lagerway, right mm-hmm. that he has the transfer record now he wants trophies doesn't care about the transfer record mm-hmm We've been assuming that for a while because he, you know, has a $70 million yacht that he just kind of uses whenever he feels like it. Don't think money's an issue for him. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, that, yeah, I think he's probably gone in the winter. And do we have three starters? Is that where we're at? Yeah. Yeah. Three, I think certain, three, three. two certain starters, three maybe starters. Yeah. yeah. Four, if you want to count Guzan, who is still under contract next year. Yeah. Yeah. So. I think people might be optimistic about that. Maybe I don't know. I don't. <laughs> I, I don't know. But I think that there's clearly going to be a lot of change coming for this team. Pro- probably both. You know, still some 
and the remainder of this window potentially and then especially going forward obviously so it'll be interesting to see kind of how they it's like hmm how will they use the buyout next year <laughs> it's like, i can't wait to well, see <laughs> i mean i'm pretty sure i know yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, um but yeah yeah no it's it's like one of those things where like you start a renovation it's never like good though when you're like planning like, oh how are they going to use the buyout <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've been doing that for like the last four years yeah. um <laughs> seriously okay wait dom uh, we were maybe thinking Heinemann, but it was Joseph. Uh, this will be probably like one of the U22s, probably Lopez. Um, damn. You brought up. I do think, by the way, that they'll get down to one U22 eventually. I still think that's the case. Dom is still just hanging out, posting thirst traps, right? Who did I say? Dom Dwyer. Oh, Jurgen Dom. No, Jürgen oh, Dom. you're talking about Jurgen Dom. Okay. Well, you saying Dom remind me of Dom Dwyer and the fact that I think he's just a free agent. Yeah, no, you don't want that. Okay, okay. Room, to be honest, okay. I, he's just not okay happy here. I don't think. Oh, really? I always thought like he was like using Instagram to like try to get his way back in. It was always it was weird. It's, that's I'll that's just, that, that alone probably is a is a is a signal to. <laughs> yeah, reminds me there was like um, a Bra- there was a Braves reliever he, he tried out with who they cut uh, and then KC. there was a Braves reliever Shane Green a few years ago who they like you know let mm-hmm. go after his contract was up and he really wanted to come back and I think he was like he like posted from like watching the game in the outfield seats <laughs> like some game was like oh dude this is not a good look for you probably not helping <laughs> but yeah sorry got, uh, got a little yeah. sidetracked there where were we uh, do you uh, want to go to a break? Questions we're some... like 50 minutes in. Yeah. Let's, take yeah. <laughs> let's, let's remind everybody that in case you didn't know, this episode of Five Stripe Finals brought to you by Lucid FC. That's Lucid Footwear and Clothing. They have a shop in Buckhead that's open by appointment and walk-ins from 1 to 8 p.m. daily. It's located at 3209 Paces Ferry Place. So you can stick that thing in your maps and see how far away it is from you if you want to go. Or if you don't want to go, you can go to their website, lucidfc.us, where I hear everybody's shopping nowadays on the internet, not necessarily from Lucid, but I'm sure a lot of people are shopping on lucidfc.us as well. Uh, and you can use code DSS as your code for free shipping only within the United States. So our Sydney listeners, our Perth listeners, if we have any, uh, and anybody else outside of the boundaries of the continental United States, you're going to have to pay for shipping. I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do about that, but use DSS as your code for free, free shipping in the United States. Again, if you're into some trendy kind of European and styled streetwear clothing that Lucid FC has on offer, again, that's lucidfc.us. What an ad read. What an ad read. Check out the Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash five stripe final. Come join the Discord and hang out with us. I think that's where most of our value is. Patreon's been lit. Hanging out with folks. Oh, yeah. The Discord's yeah, great. No. I like, I, yeah. Do a little, some, some post game debriefs. Patreon's been good as well. Interviews. Uh, did we get Felipe on the other day? Yeah. Felipe uh, was on, on Monday. We have an interview with Felipe yeah, up yeah. talking about Miami. I was on with him. Rob just, I like, we had uh, Rob also just like sit in and ask a couple questions too. Uh, mainly about Miami and Messi and, and all that stuff. Um, but also he kind of touched on Franco Ibarra. We had actually recorded that interview before he written his piece. <laughs> in fact, our, our mm-hmm. interview was delayed because he sent me a text. He's like, hold on, talking with Ibarra. <laughs> so I was like, mm, you know, something, <laughs> something good's coming from that. But, um, but yeah, was, I thought it was a, interesting conversation if you're into the whole uh messy miami thing should be interesting times for them and always good to catch up with felipe also quick sidebar just a quick plea to to tell your friends about the striker sign up for the striker 
Uh, yeah. It's always a precarious Dude. situation in, in independent journalism, and uh, we could use a little help. Sam, so, Sam had a your Sam had a great piece. If you want to know what's going on with the team, we talk a lot about it. You know on this podcast obviously but you have a lot of great quotes from garth if you're an elaine united fan and you want to know what's going on you want to hear from garth Loggerway, and therefore you want to be reading sam's pieces uh, about this really good stuff it's really insightful even for me thanks bud thanks bud the striker.com please check it out please please all right Jeff patrick we had it ton of questions because they're backlogged oh my gosh i'm scrolling now holy (laughs) yeah we're gonna damn this might be we can save some for for next week or whatever um because the transfer window will still be going but yeah yeah we owe the people we 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 skipped the show essentially so yeah we did you know so this one's a little longer bonus um we'll, we can speed run a little bit slaw says if you were a bar would you even want to come back after the loan between getting played out of position as an a and then this mls Oh, and mishandled <laughs> U22 situation, not an MLS handled U20 situation, though. Yeah, there has to be some amount of disillusion with the club. I think that's probably true. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he was watching last night. He yeah. posted on Instagram about it. He said something about Chop being a king. That's so adorable. You know, yeah, that was, which is true. Great. So wholesome. Still watching the mm-hmm. team. I mean, he's still friends I don't think with these it, guys. I don't think it's totally burnt. I, I think he probably should be more concerned about what the folks in Toronto think of him right now right. more than anything. Right. Uh, but if there's a spot for him uh, as a U22 next year, maybe maybe he fills it. But at the same time, I will say that I think the general plan, just based on what Garth has done in the past and how he views prime HDPs being of critical importance, you're going to want to get down to one U22 eventually. Yeah. And, and uh, I don't know if Frank was a part of that. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think he even said in his uh, athletic interview with Felipe that he didn't want to come back like unless there was like not at least like not with those people maybe like <laughs> like if Carlos was gone or something that he would then he would be like open to it or something I don't know but he said something along those lines and so yeah he's probably he's almost certainly not coming back we do have to mention by the way just to be totally cognizant of the situation that Joseph Martinez replied so Franco Obara's post right kind of right frustrated about it right basically said he said he said same shit yeah you know and that is part of the visceral reaction from fans for sure and we we need to acknowledge that yeah i actually thought that that was like not totally appropriate from joseph not not that he like can't do it but like i just thought it was a different like joseph's context was a lot different um and like the reasons he may have been frustrated now maybe he's just saying same shit like same kind of just like frustration with yeah the way that they were handling business or whatever but you know joseph joseph and his demands were certainly much different than what Abara went through. So I just thought that there, I think it's worth just pointing out that distinction. That's good context. Thank you. Uh, Tabor says ignoring Carlos's lack of commitment to an Abara return. What would the organization need to do if anything to make Abara feel welcome again? Should he return back to Atlanta after the loan? I have no idea y'all. We are not like, I don't know. We do a podcast. We aren't good at like interacting with people. Like we're journalists. Like what do we, I don't know what we need to do. Yeah, I mean, again, I think these questions are just like putting the cart way before the horse. Like, I, I don't think he's coming back. Fair enough. Former Cool Kid says, what are y'all's impressions of Eric Lopez from what you've seen on the training ground and the twos? Is there reason to believe that he can be a contributing piece for the first? <laughs> um, he hasn't played this year, I don't think. I, I can't remember any time that he's played. Maybe he played. He played it like the beginning of the year before his ankle injury. Did he? I've seen him a few times 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I've seen him a few times at the training ground as well, though every time I see him, I go, wait, who is that? <laughs> right. and then I remember, oh, what? because I can't recognize him, I go, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. If he's the one you don't know, yeah. I saw Pinedo was having a long talk with him the other day, just kind of like the quote-unquote arm around the shoulder kind of chat after practice. <laughs> so there's that. Classic. No. Classic, classic. Um, I, I have no... Hmm. Uh, we, have, um, we have some details about that probably that we can share one day, maybe possibly. Like yeah. five years from now. Check back with us in five years. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah, look, I, yeah. He's not. He's not in the plans, as far as I can tell. Just performance wise, I wish I, they all probably wish he would be in the plans, but he's just mm-hmm. not performed. And honestly, to, to I will give him this: his arrival was a total disaster. And you know, you mentioned it earlier, talking about you know rules that they thought were going to be in place that led them to sign some of these players. I think his arrival was with the this expectation that the u22 rule was going to be implemented it wasn't so he basically lost his entire an entire calendar year of soccer was completely lost and he was just training just that's that's pretty brutal to have to go through that as a as a young player so there is that but also he's just he deceived us all with the the shaved eyebrows one person yeah (laughs) Yeah. um Telemachus uh, you says know, people like the, to say the new guy Saba has a lightning bolt on his uh, forearm. I like that. Oh yeah, yeah. cool. Got to be good. Got to be. Telemachus says people like to say things like Boca isn't all bad. Yako said that Boca coming to see him at Celtic was a big reason he chose here. Uh, Boca and Darren also went to see Almada in Argentina. The question is, how common is it for a technical director to go on site to scout players? Or we give him credit for doing something above and beyond what other clubs do, or is this simply an advantage of a non-audited expense account <laughs> without needing examples? Have you heard of or seen tech directors coming to Atlanta to see a player? I don't know about coming to Atlanta, but in general, I don't think it's super weird for a technical director or whoever to go out and, and meet with a player that they really value. You know, we, we've seen it a lot for for DPs and maybe some high TAM guys as well, and maybe not for some other players. You know, mm-hmm. um, but. I think it's more a case by case basis of like when they need to make a big final push. Uh, you, like Joe said, you hit the end home visit button on NCAA 14 and really try to to seal the deal. And, you know, I, I think it's probably fair to say that a lot of other technical directors have done similar things. Yeah, I think it's probably pretty standard. But the only reason that we say that is because that's what the players say that they were they, they will typically bring mm-hmm. it up like. No one's like asking, like, how was it talking with Carlos? They'll just bring it up and they'll be like, was really impressed with Carlos when I got to meet him, Um, which, you know, it's credit to his suits, his chiseled jawline. You know, he comes across, I think, to these players as someone who's very um, just like, I don't know, engaged and and just very serious person. and, And he kind of, I think, represents like this kind of like big club mentality that Atlanta United is for a long time wanted to kind of present on to the stage, both the fans. And I think also to players that they're trying to recruit to come. So it, yeah, again, no, it's yeah. I mean, former player. Like he's going to know how to relate. Right. To these guys. Exactly. There's, That's there's a huge part of it too. And still young enough to kind of be able to relate to them on that level for sure. Mm-hmm. Lucas Reed says the lack of a market for mascara Lopez going to hurt again. Once Almada is presumably sold, would be limited to a young DP or TAM level DP, uh, which doesn't seem in line with Garth's preferences. Good catch, Lucas. Uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. Like I said, I think probably a buyout coming on one of those dudes, like one of the U22s, as they continue to kind of parse that group down, uh, probably going to 
try to move on from a couple of those guys as well. I do think they want to be down to one U22. Mm-hmm. And that might be a limiting factor uh, going forward as they kind of deal with Amada potentially being sold and bringing in a potential new DP and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, it's all about like, how do you optimize the team? And I think that they probably see the optimizing the team. You op- you actually are in optimal situation with with one U22 and uh, giving yourself more options. And again, I go, I keep on thinking about this word. I think that you wrote it when you met with Garth earlier this year, but like this optionality that is essential to understanding what this team is trying to do right now. And, um, I think it makes sense with, you know, the, the DP spot, they still have a DP spot open and there is not a rumor for a player that's going to fill it, which I mean, Unless something crazy happens to me, it seems like they're not going to fill the DP spot. But again, that will give them more options in the future when it comes to signings. And also just when it comes to especially uh, leverage with Almada himself, like they want to make sure that he could still play for the team, that they don't do something like they did with Almiron, where everyone it was kind of an assumption that they were going to sell him, but they actually filled his spot. May not maybe not technically, but it was heavily reported and almost done that Pitti was coming. But and while he while Almiron himself was still under contract. Yeah, just to clarify real quick on the DP thing, they might make a player a DP because you can't. Yes. Do that, yeah. Right. That's you, an you option. Can, yeah. As long as you're above that TAM threshold of, I believe, 651 K, mm-hmm. uh, you can be a DP. Mm hmm. Essentially, right? They could make Saba a DP potentially, and then there's make make him not a DP DP even if he's not above. Yeah, Uh, they've done that in the past. I think Alan Franco, Marcelino Moreno, uh, Tito, Mm -hmm. as well, Mm -hmm. uh, all came off the books as DPS. Uh, It's just a way to limit uh, how much you're actually being charged for a player, right? Right. So it's just a a cap saving uh, mechanism at that point, even if it's not actually filling that full DP spot. That a player like Yako would take up because of their budget charge. Good point. Cool. Good point. So cool. I guess they probably will technically have the three DPs probably at some point. Yeah. Like it makes no sense not to, but yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh Ralph says, who you got in a no holds barred match between Lasada and Gonzo? Um I can say that like the conversation between Lasada and Gonzo was exactly what you expect, just like time wasting and everything like that. There was no like secret, like jab or anything said it was pretty typical but gonzo's winning that fight and it's not even close <laughs> okay well, that's good I, I had no idea so thank you <laughs> i yeah. had the same question as ralph <laughs> chris f uh said is a brown playing better the past oh, wait hold on hold on, hold on. The- oh oh What's you're up? saying you take gonzalo in the match as well oh totally okay yeah, i yeah. misread the question oh that's not even close i misread the question yeah yeah i'll take gonzalo he's guys intense uh by the way in the media game he was like he was literally he slide tackled. tackled somebody <laughs> in the media game <laughs> but he played for l tree like it's just yeah, like yeah you know, he's not messing around people forget that mm-hmm. uh chris says abram playing better the past few weeks or is it more of the back three helping to cover him um, I think it's the back three. He has been playing better, but I think the back three helps. Yeah, yeah. So I still need more data points on him. Uh, I have my concerns. He's he's so small for a center back. Uh, I feel like he kind of that makes him a better fit in one of these wider central center back spots in a back three as opposed to being in a back two. I feel like he could definitely be exposed just physically. Uh, we'll be interested to see what they do though at the back now that Miles Robinson will be coming back. I kind of doubt they'll just throw him straight in. 
Um, I say no chance he plays yeah, on Saturday. Yeah, but uh, but going forward after that, it will be interesting to see how they kind of realign the the back now that Gonzalo's kind of been able to see some of these different options. Ty Quinn says more of an impact on Lennon's recent form, departure of Araujo, or change in formation. I think Brooks has just been better in general. To be honest, I think he kind of keeps improving this year, which has been really encouraging to see. Um, we could fight about whether that budget charge is still worth it, but he, he has been improving and it's clearly been working to improve. And I think has put in probably his best season in Atlanta so far. Mm-hmm. I think, um, I think, well, to Ty Quinn, I think both of these have impacted him positively. The departure of Aruju and the change in formation. I think probably the biggest impact is uh, probably the change of formation. Just gives him a lot more freedom uh, these last few games. And I've even liked him sometimes when they've gone in like late game when he's been pushed up to right wing. If like his job is just to be wide, get to the end line again. He's he's decent at that. Um, so he's a nice little versatile player to have. I But I agree with you about the, all the contract and stuff. Four card says, what has Etienne done this season? I think he's up there with the worst signings ever, like worse than Dom. His budget charge isn't that big, y'all. Like, Jurgen Dom was making like 1.4 million. Derek's making 6.7 or 6.7 or excuse me, 670K. Yeah. Essentially. Right. It's, like, he's not worse than it's Dom. Big, Dom is, you, you, no you literally can't Dom. get worse than Dom. Like, that's as bad as it gets. <laughs> he was a max, he was a max TAM player that basically offered you nothing. He was getting, the other players were getting picked over him to play. Yeah. I, I still hold out that some end product is going to come from Derek as well. I'm still willing to do that. So I might die on this hill, but it'll be valiant death. Uh, also, Eric Lopez like keeps claiming bodies, y'all. Like This is the second time that Atlanta has like had to move a player because of Eric Lopez. <laughs> so... <laughs> I think that's up there as well. Absolutely brutal. By the way, uh, I'll, I'll, you know, to, if it please anybody, like, I'm basically as frustrated as anybody else with Etienne. I know, Sam, I'm hoping you're right. I'm hoping you're right. But for me right now, me too. I don't think he's worth the starting. Um, if he can come on as a sub and start to, you know, find some production, improve himself, then yes. But I'm at the point now where it's like he can compete flat out with Tyler Rolfe and made the best player in training start that week like that's kind of where i'm at with etienne i don't think that's unfair at all uh Durin the great says how much am i lifting to start throwing sam around i've been on a bulk cycle lately and i've been taking pre-workout plus uh you know i'm, I'm just working harder than you so it's gonna have to be a lot Durin. <laughs> it's gonna have to be a lot a lot of muscle confusion uh super soft free kick party says how many of the 10 saves were actually good saves and how many shots were right at the keeper i can only think of one or two they weren't right at him. I, this is in reference to Petrovic last night. Uh, Petrovic, it's super interesting because his post shot XG is generally really low, but that's kind of based on um, positioning as well, like where the keeper is at, where the shot is at, and everything like that. And I think his positioning might be so good that it's kind of like beating the model. And I think that might be part of the case here as well. Like he's just so well positioned at all times, Petrovic, yes, that. Sometimes it seems like, oh, why are they just shooting right at him? Well, he's positioning himself really well. I think that's part of it. Yeah. Smurfy says, uh, "Would you?" Oh, speaking of keepers, would you make David De Gea a DP goalkeeper right now if it was possible? Parentheses. I hate that I'm typing this. Uh, I'm still not sold on a DP goalkeeper. You can talk me into a Max Tam keeper, though, if they're 
pretty incredible. We've seen that with Roman Berkey uh, in St. Louis, who's technically a DP. I don't think he's over the threshold. I can't remember. No, I would not. I would not make David De Gea a DP goalkeeper. I would not sign a DP goalkeeper. Um, by the way, Petrovic, Atlanta generated 1.65 expected goals, 2.64, 2.69 on expected goals on target. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that means that Petrovic really was making the doing Dude, the damn saves because that does uh-huh. not include like ch- chances that should have been great that were off target. This is purely on target shots. So good day wow. for him. Huge difference maker. I look the Revs have grabbed a ton of points in MLS over the last few years. Uh, not a coincidence that Matt Turner and Georgie Petrovic have been their keepers over the last few years. Yeah, not a coincidence at all. Uh, Go JD says Chol is a fan favorite uh, as the world famous five star final discord has determined can we start a thing where we sub and Chol and everyone's starting Go JD is so on this like a chugging train engine until he gets a touch and then the Ben's horn sound this would be remarkable it would take a level of coordination throughout the stadium that we've the likes of which it, we've never seen. It would be the greatest chat ever, I think. I'm just imagining <laughs> OJD like sitting on his couch watching the game, like saying it to himself, like with a beer in hand, like Joel, Joel, Joel. <laughs> like every it's the scene in the movie where everyone who is watching the game from wherever they are starts doing it together. Yeah. Like an angels in the outfield right. where everyone starts doing the arm waving, <laughs> yeah. you know? And somehow that power is like, I don't know, a Marseille to <laughs> God, imagine the gloriousness if it ends in a goal and then the train horn goes off in the stadium just to cap it all. It'd be perfect. Uh, You should absolutely play out this scenario by yourself at home on your couch playing FIFA and see what your family members think. Find out. Find out what they really think of you. Panetta at 17 says, I'm curious as to y'all's takes on League's Cup. How should the team approach it? What is an acceptable performance? Y'all, I would punt so hard on this. I would too. I'm gonna be honest. I hate. Well, I have like a really like. Uh, I have so much apathy towards this t- tournament. I think. I mean, I, I think the sport is kind of like oversaturated in general, and I just don't care about this tournament. What's it for? What do you get if you win? Champions League spot, bunch of money. A Concacaf Champions League spot and money. Yeah, I don't care. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, I think I think I would care if Atlanta really had a solid chance. But sure. I, you know, I, I don't even think they would make it too far in like a playoff against regular MLS teams. Uh, start throwing in Liga Mekis teams and it's going to be trouble. Uh, I, I just don't think it's worth pushing for, you know. Okay. Um, pushing me out of my... I won't admit they're punting, but they might punt. Yeah, pushing me out of my like doomer opinion about this. Like, if they were already like top tier... If they like coming off an MLS cup, like, you know, if it's like something in addition you can add to your trophy case, like then, yeah, I would probably be more for it. But right now it's just not something you need to be focusing on. Like you need to be focusing on the league, in my opinion. If you lose both games to Cruz Hazel and Miami and Messi, uh, you have like a a full preseason again. Yeah. With some players like coming in. Start. You don't you don't play again until August 20th. With exactly with the players coming in, I would punt. So be nice, hard <laughs> without telling anybody. Of course, I would punt so hard. Um, that that's my thought. That's my thought. T Turner thirty three says with Miles leaving in January and Juanjo probably not returning, uh, what profile center back should we look to bring in to stabilize this back line? I, I just don't have a particular profile of center back that I think is better or worse 
than one. I just want someone to be good. Do you have like a preference at all, Joe? About who's on the back line? The stuff that, uh, I think even some of the stuff that the team has done, considering the profile center back, like trying to balance out like the the big strong guy with the cerebral guy has been misguided. Yeah. At yeah. Times seems, well. Yeah. It seems like you an know. antiquated notion of how you like put players together. Um, it's like the old thing about like the two striker system. Like you got a tall guy and a little, little man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I think uh, with center backs, I think uh, like these advanced analytics can probably help you out a lot, especially like with what they can do on the ball. And um I don't know. I don't have I don't have like archetypes that I look towards in a center back, but I just have confidence that the team should be able to recruit or identify some good targets to go for. I think Wanho's actually turned out pretty well. So I um credit for them on that one. Uh I will yeah. say one Shout thing. Shout out Tom Marshall, the former Liga Mekis journalist yeah. who probably played a big role yeah, in that. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah, yeah. Um Oh, he's a scout for the team. Yeah, I forgot he's, a, yeah he's in the sc- <laughs> yeah. Um I think, you know, Miles is interesting. For a long time, I totally cast him off as not being on the team going forward. And I think that that is still almost certainly the case. I will say, though, you know, something that's come to mind is like the transfer window is open in like the Premier League. They could any day Miles could like it it could agree to a contract Mm -hmm. and it hasn't happened yet. Still early, still July 13th. But if that window closes and that hasn't happened if, if it hasn't been announced that he's moving, uh, he's signed a new contract, a pre-contract, and the transfer window closes, then I think chain, things change a lot. So I still think he's probably going to go, but there's potentially a chance that he that he won't. In which case, I don't know what Atlanta does at that point. I don't know what if he wants to stay, if they could trade him somehow, if he would if he would sign a new contract with Atlanta. I just I don't, I don't know. But I think the the options are a lot more open than maybe I previously assumed yeah i don't know if we've clarified by the way the contract that lana has offered is the max tam yeah level thing right now that's so there's like not a negotiation five million on. it goes up you know that right the, the contract is the contract it's not going to be a dp level contract not a full level dp contract right and it is what it is he can take it or he can move on and i think he'll be justified either way mm-hmm. uh Unfortunately for him, I, not a great gold cup from him, from my understanding. Yeah. I don't watch every game, but uh, but a little rough. Uh, especially, I did watch the, the Canada game where he had a couple of handballs that were unlucky. But, you know, people will, will base some opinions on that. It, it's never a good thing when you're trying to move on and have that kind of performance. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how much teams, like if you're a Premier League team, how much you're going to pay for a guy coming off of an Achilles injury. Like, I, I hate to frame Agreed. it that way, but like, it's part of his injury history now. And that's probably going to hurt him when it comes to getting the kind of money that he, that he probably once thought he would have and should have gotten. Yeah. Yeah. That's a bummer. Curse of kid says, what do you think Chol's best position is? We'll, we'll talk about something more positive. Uh, Chol's best position is just literally wherever you want to put him <laughs> off the bench. I, I just don't think he's, quite as effective as a starter but you, you take him off the bench and put him against tired legs and yeah. basically just say we need a 20 side of die to be rolled when you're out there we know not everything's going to be great but as long as you're trying to make something happen maybe you'll hit a nat 20 every now and then he did last night a great goal mm-hmm. yeah i really uh i think that he's better playing kind of on the interior, I would say, not as being the guy who's just staying wide on the touchline and sending the balls in. He's got way too much quality in his feet to be kind of stuck out there. He could do that. 
But um, but I, I like him kind of in some of these roles, especially in this new shape where when you're playing with this three, four, three, the two kind of wide players, they're not wingers like Almada's playing one and they're players who are kind of tucking into those kind of half spaces and finding that space. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really good spot for for Chol, And we've seen him play there as a sub before. Which at that point, I'm not necessarily sure that's ideal for Derek if we're talking about this team potentially yeah. sticking with the back three yeah. going forward. I, I kind of don't think they will. Have we talked about that? I don't know how. I don't know if we have. I don't talked know about either. I don't think they will either. Yeah, I, I think, just don't. Th- I think with the personnel coming in with the winger exactly midfielder, I think that is where they will shift back to the back four. Exactly. I think they want to still have Almada in the middle, with the idea being that like you'll have a you know your number six, which I guess is Sosa, and then Muyumba can kind of range around him, and then yep, that will just pivot. allow yeah, and then that will allow Tiago to play to play further forward. But it is interesting because I feel like Tiago has been helped by this formation because I feel like you know for a long time when they were in that four two three one, he was getting lost, he was getting marked out of the games just being in that central spot. But now in this new shape he's kind of coming from a little bit wider area just positioned a little bit differently that means different players have to try to pick him up the fullback has to kind of keep tabs on him a little bit and um and i think it's opening up some things for him so it will be interesting did you see doug uh, had a tweet last night where he thinks that Mm -hmm. the team will continue to use this as like a starting formation but then move out of it a lot maybe at halftime or whatever i guess that's also uh an option seems to make sense maybe Uh, i don't know about like having it planned to move at halftime or anything like that. But it is nice to have this formation in the back yeah, pocket. Yeah, totally. You know, it is good to get this experience now and say, okay, if we need to do this at any point, we have some flexibility, which has not necessarily been a hallmark of, of Gonzalo's time here. Yeah. For better or worse. Yeah. So, um, it, it's nice to have. Uh, let's see. Huh, uh, speaking bad of that. Boy. Oh, did you want to? Oh, we're already there. Okay. Wait, no. Oh, uh, you know, you're totally right. Do you think Red we, Ranker says, do you think yeah. we see a back three or a back four against Orlando? Yeah. I think probably a back three for this one. Yeah, I think it's a back three until Miles comes back and then it's a back four. We agree on that. Yes, agreed. Agreed, agreed. Even though there are a lot of things to like about what the back three does for build up, et cetera, and all that kind of thing. But um, in theory, Mayumba helps a lot with that because it makes life easier on Sosa. Mm -hmm. We'll find out. We'll find out. Um, Bad Boy says, Sam, you've noted the team most likely won't sign a DP slash TAM level midfielder this window uh given the obvious need for a player of this type why do you feel they won't is it because of cap constraints do they feel other positions are priorities are they saving the dp tag for miles or are they genuinely fine with the midfield they have i think any move they don't make this window is almost purely down to cap constraints right now i think they're still dealing with some of the issues that have come from that goodness is they'll have a ton of room this winter right now i think they're still struggling yeah yeah i think it's yeah i kind of we talked about it earlier but again they've been revving the engine on this roster they've been redlining it so hard at some point you actually have to pull back and let the slack kind of go out of the system before you can really start building back on so i think that that's kind of part of this it's just like let's get away from let's you know allow some of these past mistakes to get a little further away from them, get some of these players off the roster and then start to build back up from there. And I think also having the DP spot open again, when you talk about optionality, just gives them a lot more options. Um, especially with Almada, I think he's like aging out of the, the DP spot that he's currently in. So that kind of affects things again. It's like there's all these different designations, but it will just give the team some more flexibility going forward. So 
That's what I think. But again, to your point, I still think they will probably slap the DP tag on somebody for the rest of this year. Agreed. Agreed. That could even theoretically be like just the highest paid dude. Yeah. At this point, which yeah. would be miles. miles. Yeah. You know, yeah, you could do it just to save some cap. Yeah. Be like 800 K just about yeah. worth a cap at that point. So yeah, useful, useful. Is that right, it? Joe. Long show. Wow, we made it through. I think we did it. I think we did it. Anything else to add? Uh, no, just uh, everybody use. Uh, is it is it is the, what's the uh, the code for the striker? Stankonia? Is that it? Uh, I don't think it works anymore. Oh, I think really? they kind of phased out, uh, unfortunately. Well, uh, no, no codes. Well, just tell your friends. Go to the please. striker. It's go cheap. to the striker. I promise it's cheap. If you read Sam's latest article, I think it's one, maybe not the latest one, but that the one that you did that has a lot of quotes from Garth, you will definitely be the most informed Atlanta United fan amongst your friends and family. So you definitely want to have that edge on your friends and family. So do that. Yes. You want to be a winner. Be a winner. That's right. Subscribe to the striker. Uh, subscribe to the Patreon as well. Patreon.com slash five star final. Go listen to Kurt Castle yeah. wherever you find music. He does the intro song for the show. The song is Chances. It's very good. It's very good. Um, I think that's it as far as plugs. Uh, DSS shows there. We'll have more from Let's the training ground tomorrow. There. Yes. Uh, Patreon will have more from the training ground. Uh, Joe's on 92.9 The Game doing like radio flashes. You can just go listen to 92.9 The Game. We'll probably catch Joe if you just want more Joe. That's right. Yeah. Life just the dulcet tones. Uh-huh. Exactly. I, I do it sometimes. I'll admit it. <laughs> I'll admit it. All right, dude. Let's get out of here. Bye, y'all. Bye.